In this episode, we are studying Genesis chapter 34, and it's here that we read the account of Jacob's sons exacting revenge against the perpetrators of the rape of their sister, Dinah. So join me as we continue our walk through the Old Testament. Well, today's passage paints a picture of our wicked society, and it faces the truth of the wickedness that is truly in the heart of man. It doesn't show us what to do about the wickedness. It just provides a picture of this wickedness for us. And the wickedness in this passage is so atrocious that frequently we will skip this chapter when we read the Bible to our children. But it is an important interlude to study before we continue back to the main story of Jacob's life. Genesis chapter 34 can be divided into six sections. First, the wickedness of exposure and rape in verses 1 to 4. The wickedness of accepting immorality, verse 5 and 6. The wickedness of deception and misusing religion in verses 7 to 17. The wickedness of greed and covetousness in verses 18 to 24. The wickedness of revenge and false justice in verse 25 to 29. And finally, the result of wickedness in verse 30 to 31. So let's begin with the first section, beginning in verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. So, to start the story, we see that sometime later, this tragic incident takes place. Dinah, Jacob's daughter by Leah, went out to visit the women of that area. Now, Dinah's behavior goes against custom because girls or young women of marriageable age in small shepherd clans like Jacob's, they were not permitted to go out without an escort. So Shechem, the son of Hamor, saw her, and perhaps drawn by her beauty, he raped her. Now afterward, he actually longed for Dinah to become his wife, and his lust appears to have turned to love, for he spoke tenderly to Dinah in order to win her affection. Now, in this society, marriage had always needed to be negotiated, and so Shechem puts pressure on his father, Hamor the ruler of that area, to take the necessary steps to get Dinah to be his wife. Now, to do that, Hamor had to go to Jacob, the offended father, to win his consent to this marriage. Well, re Let's read what happens next, beginning in verse 5. Now, Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. So we see here that when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, had been raped, he kept quiet, especially since his sons were some distance from home tending the flocks. Jacob's mild reaction to this atrocious abuse of his daughter may indicate that 
he was not overtly fond of Leia's children. But I think it's also noteworthy that after wrestling with God in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob acts more patiently, relying on God to work out a solution or a resolution whenever he felt or faced trouble. But even given the shame inflicted on Dinah, Jacob, I think, should have been more proactive. So we see here that Hamor with Shechem speaks to Jacob, hoping to persuade Jacob to give Dinah his daughter as a bride to his son. Well, let's continue reading the story, beginning in verse 7. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. So when Dinah's brothers heard that their sister had been raped, They returned from the fields, furious at what had happened. And they called this wrong an act of blatant folly, seeing it as an act of outrageous depravity that threatened the fabric of their clan's existence. Now, God had used their anger to deliver Dinah from Shechem. Now, in conversation, Hamor addressed both Jacob and Dinah's brothers. And without offering an apology or even avoiding any direct reference to the rape and the abuse of Dinah, he informed them that Shechem, his son, had his heart set on Dinah and requested that they might give her to him as his wife. Now, Hamor strengthens this request by offering Jacob's clan the opportunity to enter into a pact with the town of Shechem. Now, this pact or agreement would permit any of Jacob's children to negotiate marriages with the local people. And it would also open up all of the surrounding territories for grazing of their flocks. I mean, their family would be able to trade, acquire property. And aware that Jacob had already bought the plot of land, as we learned in the previous chapter, Hamor appealed to his longing for ownership of land in Canaan. And since Hamor's position and power greatly exceeded Jacob's in this local area, He thought he could easily entice Jacob and his sons into this agreement 
into an alliance. Shechem, his son, speaks up uh, in verses 11 and 12, hoping to move and persuade Jacob and his sons to agree to this proposal. And he assured them that his heart was set on Dinah by offering to give them basically any price they would ask for Dinah becoming his bride. And he encouraged them to set the price high as long as they truly permitted this marriage. Now, although Shechem did not admit that he had done any wrong with Dinah, he was essentially offering compensation, some sort of restitution to Jacob's family for the damages that he had caused them. Now, only later do we, the reader, learn that these two men were negotiating from the advantage of having Dinah under their control in verse 26. Now, inexcusably, these two men showed no remorse, any hint of um, regret or contrition for the grave wrong that Shechem had done. And this cavalier attitude increased the fury and anger of Dinah's brothers. Well, aggravated by Hamor's patronizing approach, and yet desiring to recover their sister, the sons of Jacob answered deceitfully. Here in the Genesis narrative of Jacob's life, the Hebrew word that's translated deceit, merimph, is a crucial term, and it was used to describe Jacob's stealing of the blessing from Esau in Genesis 27. It's the same term that Jacob used to accuse Laban for giving him Leah instead of Rachel in Genesis 29. Now, this time, it's Jacob's sons that resort to deceit, rumph, as the way to rescue their sister Dinah and to take vengeance on these dwellers in Shechem. Notice the shift in the identification of Dinah from his daughter to sister. And this signals that the brothers have taken the responsibility for Dinah's recovery. Well, with some cunning, they respond to Hamor's offer by making a condition designed to provide them a tactical advantage against all the inhabitants of Shechem. So the brothers stated firmly that they could not consent to Dinah's engagement to Shechem or give any of their daughters in marriage to anyone who were uncircumcised, for such a union to the brothers would be a disgrace. However, if all the people of Shechem all of the males would be circumcised, then the brothers would agree to have their family intermarry and to settle among them and to become one people. But if the people of Shechem did not accept this condition, they would take their sister and depart. Now, their use of this term disgrace, this is a potent term in society, um, and it's structured around the concept of honor. And this is really to be understood as a non-negotiable condition by Hamor and his son. Now, the approach that um, these brothers have should have alerted Hamor to their anger at the dishonor and the outrage that had been done to their sister by Hamor's son. And in the same vein, it's also important to note that the counterproposal that the brothers uh, provided avoided Shechem's encouragement to bargain about the bride price and the gift for Dinah. They spoke only about entering into a treaty on the basis of principle. And this emphasis on principle should also have warned Hamor that the sons of Jacob were more interested in their sister's honor than in any material gain. And the fact 
that the brothers made no reference to their counterproposal to trading or biting land, two motivating factors that Hamor had set forth, further supports this. I think this, this episode really illustrates the dangers that the seed of Abraham faced anytime they entered into an agreement or alliance with the inhabitants of Canaan. Because you see, um, a cornerstone for accommodation between two groups like this was intermarriage. And for entering such unions, uh, in this case for Jacob's small family, uh, it increased the likelihood that they would become assimilated into a larger group. And over time, they would lose their identity as the seed of Abraham. So in advocating intermarriage, Hamor was also laying the basis for the people of Shechem gaining the property and animals and all the blessings that had belonged to Jacob. Well, let's read what happens next, beginning in verse 18. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us and become one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the city of his gate listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. So we read here in the biblical text that Shechem had himself circumcised, indicating how favorably disposed he and his father were to entering into this alliance with Jacob's family. And it also anticipates the circumcision of all the Shechemites. For as the story unfolds, it becomes evident that Shechem must have been circumcised with the other men. Otherwise, he would have recovered and been able to resist the attacks by Jacob's sons. So Hamor in Shechem goes into the city uh, to address the public assembly about entering into this formal agreement and alliance with Jacob's family. And it appears with great diplomatic skill, Hamor delivers this powerful speech, informing the citizens that these new settlers were friendly. And Hamor assures them that there was plenty of room for Jacob's family to live and trade among them. And this agreement, this alliance, would open new markets. It would increase their wealth. And intermarriage would also guarantee peaceful relations. Now, shrewdly, Hamor um, omits any mention of granting Jacob's family the right to buy land. But then he does bring up the difficult condition of circumcision required by Jacob's sons. Now, to overcome any objection the citizens might have to submit to such a painful operation, Hamor uses a rhetorical question to focus the assembly on the great economic windfall that would be theirs by entering into this alliance, namely that they would gain access to livestock, property, and animals of Jacob's family. So skillfully, Hamor plays on the pride and the greed of the Hivites as he pictures them dominating this new alliance. He ends his speech with a fervent plea, 
that they all consent to this condition. And being persuaded, the assembly willfully agrees to this proposal. And so in preparation for the treaty ceremony, all of the men of Shechem were circumcised. Well, let's read what happens next, beginning in verse 25. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it fell secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. So the there's not much explanation that's needed. Three days after the circumcision, Simeon and Levi, who are Dinah's brothers, they entered the city and they take advantage of the painful, the feverish condition of the men of Shechem since they were still recovering uh, their circumcision. And they killed every single male, including Hamor and Shechem. And they rescued Dinah from Shechem's house. Apparently, Dinah was held in prison or certainly against her will. And while the city was in complete confusion, the rest of the sons of Jacob looted the city and seized the flocks, all the herd, donkeys, along with the women and children. Well, let's finish out today's story, beginning in verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Parasites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Shall he treat our sister like a prostitute? So we see here that on hearing of his son's treacherous raid, Jacob reprimands Simeon and Levi, claiming that they had made him a stench or a stink to the Canaanites and parasites. And he feared that these people who lived nearby might be so angry that they would join forces and avenge the death of the people of Shechem by destroying Jacob's household. Now, in giving only the reason being self-preservation and failing to address the abuse of Dinah or his son's blatant misuse of the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, Jacob discloses his absorption with his own survival and his lack of adequate concern for his children. Now, his sons challenged their father uh, with a complaint and a very poignant rhetorical question. That is, how should they have responded to their sister being treated like a prostitute? Now, even though Jacob failed to react strongly enough to the rape of Dinah, the Bible clearly cast Dinah's violation as an egregious act of violence, and this led to an even greater violence in the pillage of Shechem. So, this question does leave open the interpretation of this very tragic episode. Now, we see that it is necessary to hold those who had abused Dinah accountable, but the extent of the destruction that her brothers inflicted 
on the people of Shechem far exceeded the crime. And on top of that, Jacob's sons had used the symbol of the covenant, that is circumcision, as a means for pillaging a people. Now, although Jacob had addressed the serious consequences of his son's vengeful actions, he really wasn't able to enlighten them on how they should have acted out this moral responsibility. And I think Jacob's lack of response to the harm done to his daughter also becomes a mark against him. Simeon and Levi's behavior increases Jacob's sorrow, and this is reflected in his harsh words against them in his final testament in Genesis 49. Jacob's son's behavior against the local citizens invites retaliation from the neighboring villages, and we'll soon see this in Jacob's move from Shechem. Well, Jacob's suffering, trials, and tribulations don't stop here. We'll see more of this as we continue our study in chapter 35, so stay tuned.